We're going to pray for the Northies. Uh, Samantha and Harrison are packing up. Well, they packed up, mostly packed up, and are moving uh, back to Harrison's hometown, Gastonia. He's taking a position as a chaplain at a Christian school there uh, and will graduate from seminary uh, at the end of this spring semester from Gordon-Conwell. Um, they've been a part of our church for a long time now, it feels like to me. Um, they started coming, both of them, when they were in college. And um, they have served our church in a number of ways. You've seen them probably most often um, leading worship up here. Samantha is a gifted musician, uh, singer, and she also did a lot of things behind the scenes for leading worship that you never saw, that she administrated and organized, which was a huge blessing to all of us, me especially. Harrison used to be known as the banjo guy. Um, that's what he first started appearing in front of our church doing. But it's been a long time since you've played the banjo, actually. So why don't you just come on right now and we'll, one final. <laughs> um, he's uh, somebody that I'm excited to see launched into to ministry. He's a really, really gifted thinker and communicator. And I know the students in Gastonia will be blessed by his ministry there. But we love them, and we're, we hate to say goodbye to them, um, but we don't lose people. We, we send them. Uh, so I want to pray that we would, they would be released and blessed in their ministry. So if you could, just stretch out your hands to them as kind of a sign to them and, and to yourself as we pray for them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Northeast, God. We thank you for lending them to us for a time. God, we have been so blessed by all that they've given to our church, and we're so excited to see what you have done and what you are doing in and through them. And God, we pray that you would bless them as they go. We pray, God, that you would um, carve out for them a new community, pray that they'd find a good church, uh, friendships, God, a, a place that will help them feel like it's home there. God, we pray that their transition would be as smooth as possible. Father, help uh, Harrison to finish seminary, to finish the race that he's been running for so long, uh, and that he'd enjoy coming across that finish line uh, as they do that together. Jesus, I pray that you would bless and protect them. God, uh, we, we ask for many happy returns, that they'd come back um, to visit us often, but God, that you would use them, bless their ministry, and bring glory to your name through what they do in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, you know, I, uh, I told the, the first service after uh, we prayed um, that my, my daughter was one of the four girls that were up here, and it's, um, you know, it's tempting to just be a dad and just watch a performance, my daughter perform. Um, but we've not been called here today to watch performances by anyone, um, by any of these musicians, by me and not my daughter. We've been called here to worship God, to worship Jesus. And so as I'm watching and listening and um, reading the words of the song that they're Acting out and embodying, 
Um, it was remarkably hopeful to me to see these four girls dancing with masks on their face in the midst of a pandemic and difficulties all of them have faced, things I never, ever had to face as a student. And Jesus, Jesus is worthy. Jesus makes these kids able to dance and to sing because of how good he is. That He is the light of the world that comes close so that their response to him is to dance before him. Jesus has invited you here this morning to see and savor the same thing. The glory and the goodness of God that will sustain you in the midst of incredible trial, um, both ordinary and extraordinary. We're actually going to read this morning from the scriptures this focus on, on Jesus as the one who's solely sufficient and able to do this as opposed to any and all others. So I'm going to read a few passages, one of which you already heard part of uh, in their video. I'm going to start in Isaiah and then go to 1 Thessalonians and then be in the Gospel of John. That's where the lectionary takes us this morning. So this is Isaiah 61. We'll be uh, reading a good portion of this chapter. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." And then jump down to verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them the recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring of the, the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And now from the Gospel of John. 1 verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then jumping to verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let me pray once more for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, for your scriptures. God, we thank you that they carry your own life and authority. We pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be soft. God, pray that you'd help me to speak your word and that we might all be changed uh, in the face of the fires of your love and that our hearts would respond in that love. God, we thank you for this. Amen. Uh, The lectionary here draws our attention uh, on John the baptizer. He wants, they want us to focus on this person, John the baptizer, and what he's doing and what his ministry is. John 1 starts with this sort of famous introduction on what John's whole gospel is going to do. And in the middle of this introduction, he mentions that there is this person, John, who recognizes that the light of the world is coming into the darkness. And even though the whole darkness does not understand that the light is coming, there is somebody, John, who does know who the light is and what he is doing, recognizes him, proclaims him. So John the baptizer is proclaiming to the world that the light is coming, even though many of them cannot see what he is pointing towards. And then the first true story of John's gospel is this interchange between John the Baptist and the people who are sent by the Pharisees. And they want to know this person, this witness, this testifier, who are you? What's your deal? What are you doing and why? And John uh, freely confesses about himself, does not deny, but confesses, I am not the Christ. It is not me. So they interrogate him further and say, are you Elijah? They're they're here probably referring to a prophecy in the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, of one day that Elijah would return and, and preach that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children and the children to the fathers, lest the land be stricken with a curse. They're saying, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not Elijah. They, are you the prophet? He says, no. So who are you? Why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing these people? And he says, I'm the one about whom it's been said, 
that I'm preparing the way. I'm proclaiming this thing, this news, that somebody is coming. But I am not the one. The one is on his way. In fact, the one is in your midst. There is one in your midst who you don't recognize yet, who I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. I'll baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's the one. I am not. And so the people are primed. They are cued to look for who this one is. And the scriptures that we read today are telling us that Jesus is going to come and do a particular kind of thing in the world. We read from Isaiah 61, which if you are uh, been around the church, if you've read the scriptures, you'll know that Jesus is quoted in Luke chapter 4, reading this passage where he stands up early in his ministry in his hometown. He takes his turn in the synagogue. He turns to Isaiah 61 and he starts to read the first couple verses of uh, this prophecy, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. And he starts reading the things that he's going to do. And he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and he says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. It's about me. It's me. And it doesn't say that. He doesn't explicitly say that in Luke chapter four, but everybody knows what he's saying because then they try to kill him for what he is saying. And surely they know the rest of Isaiah 61. They know the scriptures, they know the prophecies of Isaiah, and they know all the things that this person, the speaker in Isaiah 61 is saying. That he'll rebuild what was ruined. He'll give the mourners a garment of joy. He'll make righteousness spring out from the ground for them. He knows that they know what he is supposed to do as described in Isaiah 61. And it is only only about him. John knows that he cannot do what Isaiah 61 describes. That Jesus is the only one that can take it up for himself and do those things. So John has a, a clear picture of who he is and who he is not and can freely, openly confess, I am not the one. Now, you and I can probably rationally confess the same thing that John the Baptist confesses. We can say, yeah, I'm not Jesus. I know that. I'm very clear on that. But oftentimes, the way that we organize the life of our heart and the way that we interact with the world, it professes a belief that our lips do not profess. We often walk through our whole lives as if, in fact, we actually are the one. A great deal of time, I interact with the world and inside of my emotional life, proceeding as if everybody should recognize, the whole world should be able to see, I am the one. When people don't treat me the way that I feel they should, I am offended that they have not done for me as they should. When people cut me off in traffic, when people go too slow in traffic, and any number of other descriptions in traffic, and when I am walking in the grocery store, or I am doing this or that, and these people are not even acknowledging me, the one, the center of the whole world, and they are not organizing their life according to my preferences, I become deeply offended. 
And oftentimes, these people have the nerve to not even know I exist. The person who cuts in front of me in traffic and slows down for their own mysterious reasons probably has no idea that I am there. How dare they? I am the one. So as I interact with the world around me, I can say in my mind, I'm not the one. But in my heart, I seem to believe very strongly, I actually am the one, and you all should recognize that. Not only do I see that in the way that I interact outwardly with the world, but the way that I deal with my internal life, the way that I construct my own doings in the world is often only about what I desire. My priorities in life are often only organized around my personal preferences, my amb ambitions, my dreams, my wants for the world. So if you took an inventory of my time and my money and the thoughts of my heart, you would probably just say, he's just doing exactly what he wants to do. And you are right. I implicitly believe all the time I am the one and I should take the dictates for my own life from me and me alone. And we are often very good as religious people is dressing that up in other ways. Putting language around our own desires, feeding ourselves. I have, can't tell you how many times my service has been dressed up with religious language to make it seem like what I most care about is the other person. But if I'm really honest, if you peeled back enough layers, you would see inside of me, my confession would be, I really just want to feel good. That's what I really want to do. I live by the dictates of me because I often freely, openly, or secretly believe I am the one. But John's confession is an Advent confession. I am not the one. And isn't, isn't it so like what we experience? John's description. There actually is someone in your midst, but you don't even recognize him. You don't see him. I'm the seen one. I'm the one that has eyes on them. But the unseen one, the one you don't even recognize, I can't even tie his shoes. Is that not how all our lives ought to work? I'm the one that the whole world, or so it feels like, has their eyes on. My family's eyes are on me. My friend's eyes are on me. But shouldn't I be able to believe and to confess? Actually, it's not, it's not about me. I'm not the one. The one is in your midst, the one who you have not recognized yet. John is the perfect figure for Advent. In many ways, he, he embodies what the spirit of Advent is. Because what he's saying is, you should get ready. Because the one is on the way. And he will, he will change everything. Paul's commands to the people at the end of the first letter to the people of Thessalonica is asking, commanding people in Thessalonica in the church there to actually live 
as if the thing is true that we say we believe about Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, there's a description of the one who is coming, who is anointed of the Lord. That's the language of, of Messiahship. The one, the anointed one is coming to do all of these things. And you, people of Thessalonica, you, people of Valley Hope, you are called, you are commanded to live a kind of life that verifies that that thing is not a theory. It is the truth, even if it's hard to see, even if it's unrecognized in the midst of the world. What kind of life are you supposed to live? A life marked by joy and prayer and gratitude. Now, this is not uh, arranged around the particular circumstances of their moment in Thessalonica. These are people who will face hardship and suffering that many of us are unacquainted with. They live in the shadow of the empire who will actively seek out to kill people within the empire very soon who bear the name of Jesus. You know, in our cultural moment, people in churches like ours are tempted to be afraid that we're going to be persecuted because people will say mean things about us. This is the Roman Empire where they will literally kill you. That's persecution. And the persecuted church of the empire is commanded to live as if the one in Isaiah 61 has already come. As, he, as if he is on the scene and as if he is coming again. It bears on them. It, it bears weight on them. It reckons on their life. And they are to live as if they could joyfully say the person of Isaiah 61 has come in to change everything, to, to give good news to the poor, to, to give relief to bind up the brokenhearted, to clothe in righteousness and salvation. That's actually true. And Paul also points us towards the future. And he says, endure to the very end. Live a holy, grateful kind of life until the very end when Jesus is revealed. You know, Isaiah 61 has this line about the proclamation of the day of the vengeance of our God. And it's notable that when you read Jesus reading this in Luke chapter 4, he does not read that line. He skips it. He stops right there. The day of the vengeance of our God is fully revealed when Jesus comes to complete Isaiah 61 and to ruin the ruination of creation, when he will end forever in justice and death. And we are waiting on the edge of our seat to see the fullness of Isaiah 61. And Paul is saying, live like it is fully true so that when it is revealed, you will be living in the time that will be completed. You will be prepared for the citizenship that will come fully into being. But even in this, it is tempting to hear those commands and to say, this is about me. It's weighing on my shoulders. The burden of these commands, they fall upon me. But even in these commands, Paul points to the one. He doesn't point at you. He, he speaks past you. He speaks over your head. Because he, what he prays for the people is that God would sustain you. 
that God would enable you to endure, that God would himself hold you. And what is his confession at the end of that passage? But that he will surely do it. He will surely accomplish it. Who will do it? Who will sanctify you? Who will help you to endure the end? Who will present you before God, blameless and above reproach and in holiness? Who will do that? He will. Because it's always about him. It's always about the one. And so it is a, it's an invitation of liberation to the people of God to hear John's confession and to give our voice with it. To say, I am not the one. It is not me. My life, it is not about me. Way too often, it's about me. It shouldn't be about me because I am not the one. Jesus is the one. And Jesus is the only one that can do all the kinds of things that are promised in Isaiah 61. He's the only one that can bear up all of the hopes of the world, all the hopes of the nations. So when we come together and we say we are pleading and singing these songs about the light of God coming into the world and we are lighting candles, we are not lighting these sort of amorphous virtues of just kind of feeling hopeful or feeling loving or feeling joyful. We are saying that it is the light of the world that comes into the world that gives us God's own hope, his own love, his own joy, and lights up the darkness and sustains us in the face of the brokenness and the suffering of the world. We right now feel the ache. We feel the ache of the time between the times. We are caught between the reality that Jesus has come, the light of the world has come, and the reality that we have clung to other lesser hopes. We are torn between two places. And part of the purpose of Advent is not to avoid the ache, but to lean into it. And to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and make this aching stop. Make it Stop! So I'm no longer torn between two ways of being, two kingdoms, two kinds of living in the world. And if you are here today and you are sort of scanning through your mind and your heart and you're saying, man, I've mostly cared about myself. I've mostly cared about my own comfort, my own pleasure. Even the good things that I do really for other people are really often about me. If you are scanning through there, the invitation of Advent of this moment is the same message that John gave in the beginning of the Gospel of John. Repent. Repent. The one is coming. He's coming. Repent. This thing that you are hanging your hopes on, you, your agenda, the pleasures of this world, vaccines, which are great, politicians, whatever your hope, whatever's holding on to your hope, let it go. It's going to fail you. It is probably already failing you. Turn then and embrace Jesus. The one who comes in Isaiah 61, the one who is coming again. The one who, as you hold him, will hold you even tighter. Repent and turn to Jesus. He is the one who can bear the weight of all your hopes and can himself and will himself destroy the things that are destroying this world. Turn to Jesus. He is the one 
that you need. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you this morning that um, we, don't, we don't look to you and say you're just like us. You're not. You're one of us. We're so grateful that the Son of God became Son of Man. You're one of us, but you're not just like us. And we're so, so glad. You are the one that none of us could be. And Jesus, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you would call us to you, that you would help us to turn to you, and that we would give away the other things that we treasure, the other things upon which we place our hopes. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would receive all of the glory that you're due as you care for us in a way that only you can. We're so thankful, God, the news of your love come close. We pray that our eyes would be opened, that we would see you, that our ears would be open, that we would hear you, and that we would give away anything else by which we organize our lives and instead throw ourselves at your feet when we find your mercy, your grace, and a grip on us that will sustain us to the very end. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.